Welcome to the Bethany Community Church Sermon Podcast. This ministry is intended to inspire you and help bring solutions to the challenges of life. Today's message is titled, The People of the Light, and it is part of the Our Time to Shine Sermon Series. For more information about other ministries here at Bethany Community Church, you can visit us at our website at bccma.org, or you could always send us an email at office at bccma.org. And now, here's Pastor Phil McCutcheon. In 2006, a dark, rather dark movie film was made entitled uh, Children of Men. It became critically acclaimed, was up for several awards. It's about a world in uh, 2027 where no children have been born for 18 years. So there's no hope for the future, right? There's no laughter on playgrounds. There's no school kids running around. Britain in this movie has become a police state and immigrants are being murdered who come and try to come into the country. Uh, the film even had a flu epidemic where a lot of people died around the world from flu epidemic. But injected into the film is a pregnant girl named Key, and she's kind of the center of the movie, and it's the key to the future of the world. And so the plot of the film is around Key and her baby, and, uh, and they're trying to get out of this dystopia world situation onto this mysterious ship called the Human Project. The, the hero of the movie was a, a person named Theo, which Theo is the Greek word for God, so you can see the biblical narrative that they're in, injecting here. The, the hero of the movie was Theo, and Key decides to name the baby after Theo's son. So they're trying to connect all these biblical themes, right? Uh, the film ends with the human project ships pulling us alongside the little rowboat where Key is sitting, holding her baby, riding the waves. But, but Mary is uh, like, it's like Mary on the donkey in the little boat, getting ready to get on the, the ship. And uh, we're left with this hope and this anticipation that this baby will mean life and future to this barren and hopeless world. Uh, In fact, uh, the movie was released in the United States during the Christmas season of that year. So they knew what they were, were aiming after. One of the things which makes the film interesting, though, is that there were at least two sides in this movie who were all fighting and killing off each other already, and they were all trying to use the baby for their own purposes. They're all trying to use the baby for their own purposes. They want the baby so they can get the remaining masses to come over to their side. They want this hope so they can get the masses to come over to their side and be on their side in this this, uh, horrible battle that's going on, and the world is, is dying in this horrible battle. So when Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5 that we read last week, you're the light of the world, the salt of the earth and the light of the world, he isn't merely speaking to whoever's listening. See, Jesus wasn't putting, the Bible says in one place, he gave himself to no man with one particular audience. So he, well, Jesus wasn't just kind of like a, uh, and, and I mean no, 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 uh, no criticism or put down, but a, but a mentally ill person. We've all, we've all seen the mentally ill person 
usually major city, almost every community has one or two or three people who walk up and down the streets saying things, just muttering or, or speaking. Or, or it, well, sometimes I think I used to imagine Jesus was kind of like that. Not that he was mentally ill, but I just kind of imagined that he just, he just stepped out of his house in the morning and said, I am the light of the world to whoever was listening. He just walked through the park and said, Behold, I say unto thee, uh, I am coming soon. You know, I just kind of imagine kind of he's walking around like he's got the nails already in. You know, he, he's always kind of in the movie, he's kind of robotic looking. And I kind of imagine, but I got to thinking about this as I was preparing for this message. That, no, Jesus spoke very specifically to the crowd he was speaking to. He, he knew his audience. And he did not go around saying, preaching the same sermon to every audience. He said he had different messages to different audiences. In fact, sometimes Jesus could be very tough on an audience. So when Jesus looked out that day in Matthew 5 and said, You are the light of the world, it dawned on me he didn't say that to every crowd. He didn't, he didn't I'm going to talk about these different crowds in a minute, so I'll try not to get ahead of myself. But he didn't look at every crowd and say, you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world. And when I, when I thought about that, I thought, you know what? I want to be a part of the crowd that Jesus says, you're the light of the world. I want to be a part of the crowd that Jesus says, you're the salt of the earth. I, I, want, I want Jesus, if he were to walk out on this platform right now and look down at you, I want him to say, you're the light of the world. You're the salt of the earth. You are, a, you are a perfect reflector of me. That's what I want him to say. Because Jesus didn't. Let's, let's look at some of the different audiences that Jesus spoke to. One audience that Jesus spoke to was family and the familiar. Family and the familiar. Jesus was born in Nazareth. He did most of his miracles in Capernaum, though. And that did not set well with family and, and friends and the familiar. That he was born in Nazareth, but he wasn't able to do as many miracles as he, do, and, and, and he, as he did in Capernaum. And, you know, some people kind of get all misty-eyed when they talk about the church being a family. But I always remind them, yes, it's good that the church is a family, but don't forget something. Families fight. Families have jealousy. How many of you, you don't have to raise your hand, how many of you have had family fights? <laughs> Families struggle for attention. Kids struggle for who gets the, most of the parents' attention. Family is a very tense place, right? S Scott, you don't have to be so enthusiastic. <laughs> families, families remind me uh, family, the family structure that, that everybody lives in, family structures are, are, are like a, a basket of crabs. You know when you have a basket of crabs, you don't have to put a lid on the top? <laughs> You're ahead of me, Steve. Why don't you have to put a lid on the top? I'm not going there. <laughs> you don't have to put a lid on the top because the, 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 none of the crabs will let the other crabs out. One crab starts to, right, Jim? Jim's an engineer, so he knows these things. So one, one crab does a, does a climb out, the other pulls him down. That's the way families are. We, we, want our, we, want our, we want our siblings to do well, but not too well. <laughs> we don't really, we're not sure we want them to be better than us and more successful than us. 
We want mom to care about brother or sister, but not too much. Well, in fact, I'm just going to read you one verse about Jesus and his, his hometown. This was at the end of a long conversation. You may want to go back and read. Luke 4.29, they got up. This is his family and friends. They got up and drove him out of the town and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. <laughs> I don't know. That just strikes me as funny. That's what his family was doing to him. Is this why you're, Steve, is this why you're getting away from your family to come to work up here? <laughs> but he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. So that's one group of people. Do you all relate to wanting to be a part of the family of Jesus? Sure. Part of, what, part of the reason you come to a church is because you want to go where you can have friends and where people in this room can be like your family. And God has some good things to say about you as a family, but it's not your primary identity. And I'll get to that in a minute. The second group that Jesus talked to was the crowd. Now, the Bible says in John 6, to a great crowd of people followed him because they saw the signs that he had performed by healing the sick. What does the crowd want? We all know what the crowd wants. The crowd wants a show. The crowd wants a performance. The crowd wants to see magic. The crowd wants to see an amazing worship team, an amazing graphics on the screen. The crowd wants to see the place decorated incredibly so that they go, oh, the crowd wants to be entertained. That's what we want when we're part of a crowd. Nothing wrong with being a part of a crowd, by the way. Nothing wrong with wanting the worship team to be good. Nothing wrong with wanting the music to be good. Nothing wrong with wanting the pastor to appear like he did prepare for you to come. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. But that's not your primary identity if you want to be the light of the world and salt of the earth. A third group that Jesus talked to was the needy. John chapter 5 verse 1 says, Now there in Jerusalem, is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate, a pool in Aramaic called Bethsaida, which has five roofed colonnades, and those, in these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. Jesus spent a lot of time with the needy. How many have ever been? Maybe you're here today, and you're one of the needy. Maybe you came here today, and you're really hurting. You're, you know, I think of this every time I pray about the service, and every time I meet with the staff back in the classroom there, and we talk, think about the service, and they'll tell you that I often pray Oh, God, touch the person here today who's hurting the most. Touch the person who's most discouraged. T touch that person who's thought about taking their own life this week. Help that couple that's talked about divorce this week. That's the church exists for the needy. Jesus existed for the needy. Sometimes we're all a part of that needy crowd. And when you're part of the needy crowd, you're probably not going to... Be great at letting your light shine. You're probably not going to be great at being the salt of the earth when you're in deep pain and deep need. Jesus had something to say to the needy, but you need another identity. And some people, God bless you and help you, but some people get stuck in a needy identity. And they never move beyond it. Because it feels good to have people care about you when you're needy. And sometimes if you're not careful, you can get 
addicted to that. Jesus looked at a crowd one day, and he didn't address them as the crowd who needed entertainment. He didn't address them as family and friends who wanted to control him. He didn't address them as the needy who needed another therapeutic uh, conversation. But he said, you're the light of the world. You're the salt of the earth. Another crowd that Jesus talked to is the Pharisees and Sadducees. Now, there's so much that he said to them, we couldn't even begin. In, 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 in Matthew chapter 23, he has seven woes. Seven woes for the Pharisees. You see, the Pharisees had become a corrupt religious political system. And the system wasn't corrupt, but they had corrupted it. And here's what, I'm going to tell you one thing Jesus said to them. He didn't say, you're the light of the world. He didn't say, you're the salt of the earth. <laughs> he didn't say, you're the city set on a hill. I want, I want everybody to know that you advertise my character and my glory. <laughs> no, he said, you snakes. Jesus is not politically correct, that's to tell you. He sounds like somebody else I know. He's here right here. <laughs> you brood of vipers. How will you escape being condemned to hell? <laughs> well, I thought Jesus was loving and kind. Therefore, I'm sending you prophets and sages and teachers. Some of them you will kill and crucify. In other words, you're hopeless. Others you will flog in your synagogues and pursue from town to town. Now, sometimes we think, I, I just got to clear this up, because the Pharisees need a little defending. Sometimes we think the Pharisees was just a bad group of people, but actually the Pharisees and Sadducees, uh, we owe a lot to them. They were the ones who preserved the, the, the scripture and, and Jewish culture during the time when the Jews had been taken into exile into Babylon. They were the ones who, who fought to preserve the truth of God's word. They were the they were the, what we would call the pillars of the community, the pillars of the assembly. But through a, a series of events. See, there's just one thing. See, the Pharisees had been this very important part of Israel. And I think there's something I want to say today that's really not a part of the sermon, but, but, but everybody's talking about dismantling structures today and dismantling everything. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say this. Systems are not the problem. Evil people are the problem. There wasn't anything wrong with the, with, the, with the synagogue system. The synagogue system wasn't the problem. It was the people that were running the system became evil. If, I mean, you, 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 and I'm getting off here a little bit, but you can, have a, you can have a pure dictatorship if your dictator is benevolent. It's happened through history. There have been many, many dictatorships that were great places to live, and great countries to live in because the dictator was a pure-hearted person who loved the people more than he loved himself or herself. So it's not the system. The system's not the problem. The problem, Jesus said, or, or Jeremiah said, the heart is de desperately wicked. The heart is desperately wicked. He never said the system is desperately wicked and needs to be dismantled. He said the heart is desperately wicked and no man can know it. That was free. That wasn't in the notes. However, in Matthew 5, 
where Jesus said, you're the light of the world. He isn't talking to family and friends who are constantly comparing treatment, engaged in control strategies, and getting offended at one another. That's what families tend to do when we get uh, pathological. He isn't talking to the crowd who are looking to be wowed and entertained with a magic show. He isn't talking to the needy that he loves and cares for, by the way, but... He is, and, and he, so he's not talking about that. He, he isn't talking to the Pharisees and Sadducees who had made themselves a depraved power structure and made themselves rich and powerful at everyone else's expense. He isn't talking to them. Instead, he's talking to people who want to be reflectors of his glory to a dark world. The world is dark today. It does not have the insight into reality. No sure hope for the future. No clear vision of the way to live our lives. And no ability to see into the eternal kingdom. But Jesus is calling us beyond those other identities. Beyond being pillars of the assembly like the Pharisees. Which we thank God for pillars of the assembly and that are in the church. Needy, the crowd, all of those. He's calling us to be the people of light. Philippians 2.14 says, Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. So let's... Let's talk for a little bit about the commitment that this, the commitment that being the people of the light requires. And I call it the crossroad of commitment. And I'm going to, I'm going to, I want to introduce you to two different people, John chapter three and John chapter four. And from some things I studied, some scholars believe these stories should be read together. And it's two different characters. One's named Nicodemus. And the other is, we, we call her the woman at the well, but she's a Samaritan woman. Now let me read just an excerpt from both of their stories. John chapter 3. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who's come from God, for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. That's Nicodemus, a ruler of the synagogue who came to Jesus at night. That's more than a metaphor, I believe. He came to Jesus in the dark, recognizing Jesus as a great teacher, not quite crossing the line to see him as a son of God, but doing everything in secret. Now let's look at this other person, the woman at the well. Now Jesus has now traveled to Samaria. Samarians, Samaritans and the Jews hated one another very much and they had a long history of hatred for one another. And Jews were very prejudiced against Samaritans and considered them unclean and unholy. They were a mixed race. They weren't pure Jews. And uh, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of story. You can go study it for yourself. But Jesus sits at a well, and a woman comes to him and asks him for a drink. 
uh, I, I'm sorry, a woman, a woman comes to the well. He didn't, I got that wrong. She asked, he asked her for a drink. And uh, she turns to him and said, what do you mean? You're asking me a woman. You're a man. Because men did not speak to women in those days publicly. So she said, uh, why are you asking me for a drink? He said, if you knew who I, was, who I was, you would ask me for a drink, and I would give you the living water. And here's what it says. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Now, if you jump down to verse 39... She ran from there and began to tell everybody about Jesus and began to tell everyone in the town that she met a man who told her all she ever did. You see, he had told her when, she, when in order to reveal his power, he told her uh, to go get her husband. And she said, well, I'm not married. She said, you're, you said that right. You're not married. You've been married uh, five times, and the man you're married to now is not your husband. So he, he revealed her. He shined the light on her life. And uh, so she goes... She begins to tell everybody about Jesus in the town. And many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. Now, I believe these stories need to be told together because they represent contrasting commitments. One, Nicodemus became at best a secret believer or a skeptical admirer. We're not sure. We know that in the end, he came along with Joseph of Arimathea and buried Jesus after he was crucified. And that, that means something. But he didn't make a difference in the world. He did not go back to the synagogue and stand up for Jesus. He didn't protest Christ's crucifixion, at least as far as we know. He didn't make one bit of difference in his world. He remained a person in the dark. But the woman, the marginalized woman, the woman that people were prejudiced against, the woman that had no ability and no standing in the world, zero standing in the world, she had no standing in the world, the woman that, 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 that for all practical purposes would never make a difference in anybody's life, transformed her town because she got out of the light and she stepped into the dark and she let her life be exposed and then she exposed Jesus to her community. The people of light, let me tell you about, I want to give you three quick things. The people of light have faced their own darkness. Nicodemus was not able to face his own darkness. Although it was there, there's the darkness of our associations. His associates were dark. They were the ones who would plot for the crucifixion of Jesus. If you knew who you were talking to, though, Jesus said to the woman, you would ask me for a drink. If you drink the water I will give you, you will never thirst again. It indicates that she had a lack of insight and a lack of revelation as to who he was. So there's, there's the darkness of our associations. The woman had five husbands. So you know there was darkness and the man she's living with is not her husband. She had darkness of associations. So did Nicodemus. But when she saw Jesus, she didn't care about what all her associates thought. Do you care too much today about what everybody thinks? If you do, you're not going to be the light of the world and salt of the earth. 
If you care too much about what everybody thinks, you're not going to make a difference. And you're not the people that Jesus was talking to. There's a darkness of our insight and our lack of revelation that I mentioned a second ago. There's a darkness of our inclinations. Come see a man who told me all I ever did indicates the darkness of her behavior. Even those of us who smugly think to ourselves, well, I never commit any grotesque sins. I, 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 I have not committed uh, any, anything that's scandalous. But you know the grossest sin of all is pride. The pride of lifting ourselves up instead of the light of Christ. Think about it. Nicodemus was going around allowing people to think he was a great person instead of a man who was cooperating with a corrupt group of men who would put Jesus to death and destroy as many of his followers as possible. While the Samaritan woman totally humbled herself before Jesus and before the community, making a complete fool of herself, going around lifting up the light of Christ. Who was the light bearer? The woman at the well? The Samaritan woman or Nicodemus? Who transformed their community? Community, church, it's our time to shine. Some of you need to stop going to Jesus in the middle of the night and start coming to him in the middle of the day. Amen? Some of you just sneaking into church and sneak out of church, and the neighbors have no idea where you went. What do they do every Sunday morning? Where do they go? <laughs> Why don't you let them know where you're going? And why don't you let them know that you're coming here because you believe in Jesus? The people of the light have the wisdom to comprehend the superior beauty of Christ. The Samaritan woman said, in essence, Jesus is the best thing that ever happened to me. <laughs> Do you think Jesus is the best thing that ever happened to you? Amen. The Samaritan woman said, this is the best thing that ever happened to me. Second thought, Jesus is the best thing that ever happened to the world, she said, in so many words. We have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world, she said. The woman had not just made the case that she had found something that worked for her. She hadn't just found something that was therapeutic for her. She communicated, world, meet your king. Some of us need to go from being consoled to being convinced. We come to church and we get consoled and the message and the music and the prayers console us and we feel better for the week. How about if you went from just being someone who was needy, being consoled, to someone who's convinced and you, just, you weren't just someone having your needs met, but you became an evangelist. You became an evangelist carrying the good news to your world. Do you know that's the crowd that Jesus is looking for? Jesus is looking for people who are willing to be needy, but also who are willing to be the light of the world. Amen? The people of the light have confidence that they are Christ's most desired treasure. Perhaps the greatest parable in the scripture is in one sentence. And it's Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought the field. Now, that passage has dual meaning. That passage, yes, it's talking about the value of the kingdom of God. That you, when you discover how great the kingdom of God is, you would sell your house, your car, you would, you would quit your job, you would give away everything to be a part of the kingdom of God. 
That's how great it is. But that, it has another meaning as well. It has another meaning. That treasure is the kingdom of God. The man buys a whole field so he can have this treasure that's in the field. It also has another meaning. That treasure is you. Because Jesus is the only one who paid the price for the entire global population and the world itself just so he could have you. And if you were the only one who would believe in him, he would have still died. If you were the only one who would have become his followers, he died with no guarantees. He died with no guarantees. So that treasure in that field is you. And the woman at the well, the the Samaritan woman, got it. And she realized that what has happened to me today, all of my life I've been devalued. I've been devalued by my community. Many people, many scholars believe that because she went to the well in the middle of the day, that was not culturally normal. Normally, women would go with the other women, and they would go in the morning. And many people believe that because she went in the middle of the day, it's because the women of the community wouldn't even have anything to do with her. And she was not only, re- she's not only abused po- probably by the men in the community and by a patriarchal system, but she was probably also rejected by the women in the community. And here she has the Son of God say, I'm offering you eternal life. I'm offering you myself. And she goes, man, I'm healed of all my devaluing all my life. I've just gotten healed of being devalued. I've just gotten being healed of being abused. In a millisecond, my life has changed because I met Jesus. Hallelujah. You say, well, I don't know. People get, get offended. Well, you didn't get offended. You're here. I don't know. They'd want to hear about Jesus. Well, what? You wanted to hear about Jesus. He saved you. Were you the last person in the door? Listen, this is our time to shine. This is our time to be carriers of the light. This is our time to let people know that the, this world is not our home. This is time to let the world know that we're pilgrims. This is time to let the world know that we're not settlers. But we're going somewhere. We're on a journey to eternity. We're in a journey, and we've, 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 we've been elected into the kingdom of God. Amen. You're the salt of the earth, and you're the light of the world. They're incredible statements of your value to Jesus. Think about that for a minute. Jesus said, he could have said, I'm the light, I'm the light, I'm the light. He, he said, I'm the light. Yeah, he said that, but then he quickly said, you're the light. It's like, uh, how, many of you playing, how many of you are playing fantasy football today? Steve, you're playing? I'm, I'm playing today. And everybody's playing fantasy football. You hope your guys get the football today. Your receivers. Nick Chubb gave me 27 points Thursday night, right? So I'm, I'm, in, I'm in good shape today. Because they fed him the ball a lot. Well, listen, Jesus is the quarterback of the kingdom of God. Jesus is the kingdom, Jesus is the quarterback of the Save the World team. And he's handing you the ball today. He's throwing you the ball, saying, you're going to score the touchdown for me. You're going to be the light of the world. You're going to be the city that's set on a hill. You're going to be the star of the world. If you, you're going to be the star in my kingdom. And, when, and after it's over, we're going to high five because you're going to change people's lives. Don't underestimate your value. 
Look at your neighbor. Say, stop underestimating your value. Finally, I want to close with this thought. We must embrace the beauty and power of being delightfully different. Miroslav Volf, head of the Faith and Religion Department at Yale University, wrote this recently. If Christianity identity matters, then difference must matter as well. In the most general sense, get rid of difference and what remains will be nothing. You yourselves, along with everything else, will be drowned in the sea of undifferentiated stuff. If Christianity identity matters, then difference must matter as well. In the most general sense, get rid of difference and what remains will be nothing. You yourselves, along with everything else, will be drowned in the sea of undifferentiated stuff. I can promise you, the city of Samaria had never seen anything like the Samaritan woman. She became really different. <laughs> On the other hand, Jerusalem had hundreds of Nicodemuses. They were all over town. Pompous, proud, scowling, frowning Pharisees. They were on every street corner. What would have happened if Nicodemus would have been the woman of the world? The Samaritan woman. What would have happened if he just said, I have just met the Savior of the world? And he had ran back to Jerusalem shouting, I met the one that we've been looking for for thousands of years. He's right here living among us. Let's make him Lord. That's where it starts. You can't be the light of Christ till you are lit by Christ. And I want to pray with someone here today and somebody in this room has not been lit by Christ. The term that is used is born again. Well, that term, the word, the, the word again there in the Greek language could, can be a, a, again, but a better translation is above. Jesus was really saying to Nicodemus, if you want to, if you want to really see clearly, Nicodemus, if you want to have light, you need to be born from above. You're born from below, Nicodemus. See, Nicodemus, see, the power of the, the Pharisees was all about, they got power from below. That's the world of politics. The world of politics, that's why, that's why they're bombarding you with, with, with commercials and messages and text messages and phone calls right now because their power comes from below. But Jesus says, if you really want to have light, you'll discover the power that comes from above. And somebody here right now, I'm, I'm going to pray right now. I'm not going to ask you to stand up. But please, if you pray this prayer with me for the first time, please let us know. There's, a, there's four or five ways to contact us, but I want to know if you pray to become a follower of Jesus Christ today and to accept the light and you want to get on you want to get on the team that's going to be the light and the salt the salt and light team how many of you are on the salt and light team today how many of you on the team already wow wow this is going to be good we're going to have fun we're the salt and light team 
I'm going to pray. Just let's everybody repeat after me, and that'll help the person who's praying it for the first time. Heavenly Father, I recognize that I am a sinner, that I need to be saved, that I need to be filled with a new spirit, with a new life, a new power. I now receive Jesus as my personal Savior and my Lord, and I will let my light shine for Him. In Jesus' name, God bless.